it's a conspiracy. Should we just start? Should this just be the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, welcome to the uh, <laughs> red pilling that uh, <laughs> is currently being introduced to you. Um, yeah, I mean, did we start already? Is this how we're going to start? Sure, just yeah. Cold open. I'm cool with this. Are you cool with this? Cool. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm cool with it. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, this is the first episode of, I guess, if we're still calling it Civil Disobedience. Yeah, that works. I, I like that name. Um, yeah, so anyway, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know how you want to start this thing. Um, let's just talk. Let's just, yeah, so I'm, I'm Jordan. I got Josh here on the phone with me. We're your two hosts for Civil Disobedience. Um, we're just going to be talking about basically, I don't know, I guess things that, I guess, you know, just things that are on our mind, you know, things yeah. that matter. Things that, um, yeah. You know, yeah. Things, things that we can't, you know, thoughts that we can't really process in a 280 character tweet or, <laughs> you know, through text messaging, or, you know, a long drawn out Facebook post about how we hate society and everything. Yeah. Um, we're going to be touching on yeah. politics and society and stuff in general, but it's it's more just kind of, I don't know, just about, I mean, it's it's a, based around this country that we live in, right? The United States. Yeah. Yeah. And not even just the United States, really, like the world. Yeah. Um, in general, you know, with globalization, mm-hmm. um, country borders are kind of falling by the wayside you know there's kind of like a cultural revolution that's going on where you know it's so easy to connect and just hear about you know things that are going on in you know europe and china and africa and you know whatever and um you know kind of like this cultural homogenization that's been going on Mm -hmm. um for for better or worse and yeah i mean we just want to you know talk about issues that are meaningful issues that don't get enough airtime on the Clinton News Network or uh, the failing New York Times, <laughs> as our dear leader would uh, describe them. Um, and, and the idea is to not have to have a conversation about them because we tend to come mm-hmm. from we're we're both fairly moderate, I think. I mean, we're both yeah. biased, so it's hard to, to evaluate ourselves. But right, um, right, we're coming from from mostly opposite sides of moderate. So we're trying to have. Um, just some some solid conversation instead of arguments and and just bashing the other sides because that's yeah, a lot of right. You what's know, I mean, right I now. feel like I feel like everyone these days is so polarized. You know, you're either mm-hmm. on, you know, when, when we talk about politics, it's like, oh, are you a leftist or a rightist, right? right. And it's like, oh, you have to be, you know, are you a Sox a hard, fan or a, a Yankees hardcore... fan, yeah. Yeah, a Sox fan or a Yankees fan. You're either a winner or a loser. Um, Yankees fans are losers right now, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm saying that because I'm a diehard Sox fan, but um, we won the World Series, if you didn't know. Apparently, uh, some guy, the uh, CEO of a company called Cheese that no one's ever heard of said, you know, traditional sports are going by the wayside. No one knows who won the World Series. And he just got trolled because there's a large, a large percentage of people that do know who won the world series yeah. and he's just an idiot. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, to that point, you know, everyone's either on one side or the other, you know, mm-hmm. you're either, 
you're either a diehard socialist who thinks, you know, everything needs to be free, college needs to be free, healthcare needs to be free, the government needs to provide everything, there needs to be free housing for people that can't afford it, there needs to be a safety net, you know, you're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or, or Bernie Sanders, or, you know, you're on the right and you're Donald Trump or, you know, one of these, you know, diehard Republicans who just says, you know, oh, we need to, you know, put build a wall and kick out all the Hispanic people from this country that are stealing jobs and, you know, we need to, no one, there needs to be no safety net, you know, it's complete free for all, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the reason why we really wanted to start this podcast is because the media and society in general has just been so divisive, you know, pushing people to the left or to the right. And it's much more complex than that. You know, there's just so many, so many nuances that go on to every, even every decision, you know, mm-hmm. even something like, um, something like honey production in the United States, right? Like it has such a complex narrative that's going on. That's not just, you know, are you pro business or are you pro, you know, pro regulation or whatever? Um, because oftentimes those two are the same things or, you know, oftentimes Mm -hmm. regulations can help business, but in the wrong way. Um, so yeah, you know, enough, I guess enough introduction. Um, (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're already talking, we're talking about, I mean, bees now. So well, I'm curious what you meant when you said uh, help businesses in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Josh has a business degree for, for our listeners, just a little background. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jordan has an arts degree. Um, <laughs> so if you can kind of see where we're coming from and how we have different motivations and just different, you know, different interests and whatnot. Um but yeah, I mean, to the honey thing. So I was watching this, like, just this morning, just because for some reason I'm weird, and I like watching weird documentaries. Um, I started watching this series on Netflix. It's called um, Rotten. I'm only two episodes in, um, so I can't really give you a review. But the first two episodes were great. Um, they really shined a light on some things that um, that are really interesting. Um, if there's ever something that you're passionate about or you even just want to, like, learn more, you know, I, I definitely encourage you not just that documentary in general, but to just watch more documentaries because, you know, they take like a feature length film length of time and just you know, really dive into um, into issues and help try to help you get a better understanding of them. Obviously, they're skewed as well to the yeah um, to whatever the filmmaker's objective is. And he's not going to present both sides of or an she, argument yeah. because he's trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's on the you know, the onus is still on you to go out there and, you know, look at alternative sources. For sure. If you can find documentaries that come from both angles or podcasts are another great way to, uh, to get that as well. Yeah. Especially this podcast. Um, so the, the first episode that (laughs) I thought it was really interesting, it's about honey. Um, so, you know, it's been, there's been like a, a, a bee shortage lately, you know, it's kind of been in the news here and there. You know, but it's something that you don't really think about because, you know, it's bees. Everyone hates bees. They sting Mm. you. You know, if you ever see a bee, you get terrified, especially if you have a bee allergy. Um, But, yeah, so, you know, bee, just the amount of bees in the United States has been cut in half over the last, you know, decade or so, which is, you know, shocking if, you know, the the guy made a point. You know, if you were to say half of all cattle just died this winter, Mm -hmm. you would be like, oh, my God, that's a huge problem. But when it's bees... Um, you don't really think about it. Um, and this episode just really kind of dove into how, you know, domestic bee production or d- domestic honey production has been killed by, you know, a couple competing interests. So first, 
you know, how it started was China just started flooding. They started flooding the market with diluted honey, you know, so honey that they would, you know, inject with like a simple syrup or something that's cheap. So, you know, they were able to cut, you know, the cost of honey. And now everyone, you know, Walmart and big box food retailers obviously want the cheapest product. So they're going to only start buying honey from China. Mm -hmm. Um, So the U.S., in retaliation to that, put a tariff on Chinese honey. They said, you know, honey has to be tripled, like the honey price. They tripled honey. They tripled the cost of buying honey from China. Um, So China, to get around that, um, started selling the honey, the diluted honey to other countries, you know, Malaysia, Russia, Singapore, what have you, and just relabeling it as an import from another country. Mm. Um, to try to get around that tariff because the tariff wasn't on all imported honey, just China. Um, and as it turns out, you know, there was a huge German importer named, uh, AL, ALW, um, which was Alfred L. Wolf incorporated that, um, really was in control of most of this, you know, fraud that was going on. It was, you know, a fraud that was trying to get around a U.S. tariff and people started to catch on that their honey that they were buying wasn't the honey, you know, it wasn't actually honey. And um, this, you know, regulatory agency developed a test where, like, this was just really fascinating to me. They were able to identify, you know, through, like, the molecular structure of the honey where the nectar was coming from, like, what types of trees and, you know, where those trees are growing. Uh And they were able to find, you know, all this honey that was supposedly coming from Russia or um, Singapore or whatever. It it was something like... um, the amount of honey that was imported from Malaysia was a thousand times more than the bee production or the, the bee population <laughs> of Malaysia was able to produce, wow. um, which is crazy yeah. that they got away with it for a while. But anyway, um, you know, it was uncovered that all of this, all of this honey was actually coming from China and just being relabeled and being, you know, funneled through a third party. And it turned into like a huge fraud case. You know, the Department of Homeland Security got involved and raided the offices and, you know, arrested a bunch of people. Some people got, you know, years in prison. There's, a, you know, it's a German corporation. So some of them are technically fugitives of law for um, and they're never allowed to, you know, leave their country because they're not being extradited because it's honey. And that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The G- Germany's not going to extradite someone for yeah. a honey fraud. Um but yeah, I mean, it just really shone a light on how, you know, just how corrupt the everything is. You know, the, the food that we eat, it's not exactly what we're being told mm-hmm. that it is. Yeah, there's so and, many levels and things that things have to go through so that it's, it's hard to filter it through and figure out what is actually the truth. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, it also shone a light on just how, you know, government agencies... Um, through a regulation can kind of have very unintended consequences Mm -hmm. of that regulation, right? You know, at one point, you know, China's just importing honey directly into the United States. But now you put this tariff in and it creates this huge illicit black market of people Mm -hmm. that are trying to get around that tariff. And it creates, you know, it turns, you know, what was a honest family owned honey supplier into, you know, a multinational criminal operation right that has you know unintended consequences on so many people and you know ruin so many lives all because the united states decided that we don't want to buy honey from china Mm -hmm. right um 
so it kind of you know the, the, I think the heart of that argument is is regulation good for business right and I think you know in some cases it definitely can be you know we need to have a, the ability like people should know what they're eating yeah and I think that you know we and as consumers as far as just like how you can treat your employees I think are important because you mm-hmm. know the interests of the business and, and their monetary gains are not are often not the same as, as the interests of the, the people working for the company. Right, right. Um, if, if you've ever seen the documentary Food, Inc., it came out a while ago. Um, but it's really powerful. You know, it, it really dives more into just like the corruption that's in the domestic food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was one, I'm trying to remember here, there was one um, thing that was being done where, you know, these uh, food suppliers – and how our um, how our meat is being, and yeah, our meat and just our food in general is really gone from, you know, farm to table, as they used to say, to mm-hmm. you know, factory farming. Yeah, where you know, chickens are being essentially tortured. Wonder. You know, their yeah. legs are being broken so they can't <laughs> yeah. walk. They're being genetically modified to have larger breasts. Um, they're, they're kept being in windowless rooms with they're, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just saying, uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot about this too. And just like the, the feed that they're eating is often like other chickens who have like died in there and, and there's so much disease and like, you know, they're yeah. in that tight quarters where, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, literally yeah. just back to back and mm-hmm. on top. Of no. Yeah. That was yeah. a huge thing. Um, like cows, mm-hmm. for example, are now being fed corn. Right. And, and corn, corn is a very fascinating thing that I want to get into as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, cows aren't designed to eat corn. They eat grass, right? So mm-hmm. cows, they're eating corn and it's messing with their, you know, molecular structure. So they're getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the conditions that these, that these animals, these factory animals are being put in are very, you know, disease ridden. They're standing in their own manure for, right. you know, days at a time. The, the manure, you know, so if one cow has E. coli, now all of a sudden the entire factory is polluted, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, millions of pounds of diseased meat are going out across the country and, mm-hmm. you know, people are dying. People are literally dying or getting very sick right. from these diseases. And a recall, you know, the, the, the corporation knows that it's happening, mm-hmm. but it's going to hurt the bottom line. So they don't want to recall it until they're mandated to. Right. And at that point, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of people have already gotten sick. You know, some of them have died. And it's disgusting. Yeah. Because no, no one's being we... held accountable. Yeah. Not only were we fucking torturing these animals, we're, you know, also passing that along to the people eating it us you know yeah exactly and you know there's there's a health crisis mm-hmm. in this country for sure you know um so there, there's so many bad things that are <laughs> that are happening you know people are being poisoned you know people are being brain damaged mm-hmm. um they're just growing up you know the wrong way not healthy and yeah, there's so much, you know, pollution. our healthcare system yeah. is completely fucked. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people can't afford insurance or if they can, you know, their insurance isn't covering, covering them for what yeah. they need mm-hmm. to be covered for. Yeah. Um, and it's just sick. It's, it's sick to me because, um, going, you know, going back to corn, right. You know, corn is being produced below the, um, 
below the market value, like it's being sold below the market value Mm -hmm. because the government decided that they wanted to subsidize the corn industry because corn, you know, is storable. It's not really perishable. There's a ton of uses for it. We can put corn in everything. We can use corn to feed cows. We can use, you know, put corn syrup in everything, you know, from Mm -hmm. Coke to hamburgers Mm -hmm. to batteries to whatever you know if you look if you go to a grocery store and you look at the ingredients there's some sort of corn product and everything yeah um and that's not natural and it's not a market economy Mm -hmm. because like i said it's being subsidized by the government if corn was actually um you know being produced and sold at its normal price you know these these factory farmers wouldn't be feeding corn to their cows they'd be feeding them grass because corn wouldn't be um it wouldn't be being it wouldn't be so artificially cheap. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, and, it's it's crazy to think that grass would be something that would be more expensive of of, of a choice. You know, grass is mm-hmm. everywhere. Of course, right. And like I said, it's because the government stepped in and they decided to um, to make corn cheaper than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And farmers are getting paid to overproduce corn. Yeah. Um. And you know the reasons why these things are happening is it all comes down to money. It all comes down to money. If you ever want to, if you ever qu- have a question of why anything bad happens, it's money, right? Yeah. If a drug dealer shot on the street, it was because it was a rival drug dealer who's trying to grow his market and he wants to get that guy away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, to, on that level, to why there's these bad regulations in place, the government doesn't have our best interests at heart. I think some people do. There's definitely some, you know, Congress people, Senate, whatever. Um, who are champions of the people and whatnot. But unfortunately, our government is designed in a way that's monetized. It's, right. des- it's you know, it's, it's fueled by the profit motive. Right. And these big multinational corporations, you know, your Monsantos, your Purdue's, your Smithfields, whatever, um, these, you know, sticking with food here, um, these huge corporations have a lobby. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Congress, it's disgusting. I have no idea why it happens. The American people are blind because for some reason Congress has consistently had a sub 10% approval rating. But, you know, I think that an incumbent wins an election, you know, over 80% of the time. Right. It's also something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Going back to money involved in that, it's also, I can't remember if it's 90 or 99% of elections are, are won by the person who spends the most money. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, Congress people aren't stupid and they don't have term limits. Mm -hmm. So they know that if they're able to raise more money than their competitor, they're going to win 90 to 99 percent of the time. So they're bought out by these corporations who say, we'll give you money if you, you know, if you help us out Mm -hmm. with this thing. If you pass this regulation that's bad for the people but good for the corporation. Right. Right. So now you have all these Congress people who in essence are really just agents of corporations and the very corporations that they're supposed to be regulating are paying them. Right. Right. You know, you see all the time, you know, all these people from all these industries, you know, the banking industry, the food industry, whatever, you know, the people that they hire as regulators, you know, as the head of the EPA or the head of the USDA or whatever are just, you know, people that sat on the board of directors at this corporation and that person knows that their job is in the government is temporary Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, they're only going to work, you know, four to eight years, like however long the administration that they're working for is. And, and then they know that right yeah. after that, they're going to have to go right back into the industry that they're mm-hmm. supposed to be regulating. So if you're a person who works for the EPA and you came from, you know, Dow Chemical, mm-hmm. right? And then you just become the head of the EPA after you were on the board of directors at Dow Chemical and you're only going to be at the EPA for eight years and mm-hmm. you're only 50. And you know that right after that, you're going to go right back to working in the, you know, in the, in the uh, industry. Yeah, Dow Chemical um, or similar the company. Right, exactly. Are you going to be very harsh on that industry? Are you going to enact regulations that are fair to the people but that hurt the industry that are, that's hurting people? Or are you going to perpetuate the problem because you don't want to make enemies because you're not going to have a job yeah. in eight years when that president – you know, his term runs out or her term runs out. Mm -hmm. And, um, now, you know, now you have all these enemies and you don't really have a source of income or at least not an easy source of income because the industry that you've worked in your entire life hates you because you just hurt their bottom line Mm -hmm. by enacting regulations. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's fucked. Yeah. You know, it's, it's completely fucked. And I don't know how, we're like the, there has to be a better way yeah i mean i think you know the idea of this podcast is to to start you know to, to add to the mobilization of the citizens of this country to you know it take it into their own hands and um you know it to make it so that it's not the incumbents win 80 percent of the time you know that these people who are doing these things don't get to keep doing them um because that's up to us at the end of the day you know we decide whether they get to keep doing that um there are candidates you know we have to find and promote candidates that you know are against that kind of thing and aren't going to keep perpetuating this this terrible cycle that we're in right right i'm glad you said that because at the end of the day you know it's it's sad to say but at the end of the day, this is all our fault, not mm-hmm. you and I as people, but as a society, yeah. it's all our fault because we all know this information. All this information is readily available. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone that has a Netflix account watches a documentary about this at some point. You know, everyone goes to school at some point and learns these things. Everyone has a mobile phone that's easily connectable to the Internet so you can be on the train, you know, on your way to work and you read an article about, you know, these corrupt organizations or these corrupt politicians Um, You know, in New Jersey, this guy, Robert Menendez, who has been consistently charged with fraud and extortion and just, you know, getting in with the mob, just got Mm reelected. Right. You know, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, um, everyone you talk to in New York hates Andrew Cuomo. You know, he's destroyed the infrastructure. He's, you know, bought out by corporations, whatever. He just won his reelection in a landslide. And then we and then we look and we go on Twitter or Facebook and we just start yelling when we're just like, oh, you know, right, exactly. why is nothing ever going to change? But then we go to the polls every November and we vote for the same people yeah. that we hate yeah. because they're in our party. You know, right. like they're I said, on we're our driven. team. We're, they're, you yeah. know, they like the Red Sox. They, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, exactly. Like you either. You either vote right or you vote left. And right. You do that's, it blindly. You know. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big problems is that there really are only two choices right now because they're they, it, again going back to money. They're you know these two entities that uh, you know provide money to these candidates and 
back these candidates. You know, we need we need another way of doing that. And um, I think we're seeing right. that there are other ways of doing that. You know, we have all these candidates now who are, you know, re, you know, we have some candidates now who are refusing to like take PAC money and are you know doing a lot of grassroots stuff. Um, you know, so I think we as a people really need to, you know, take that initiative and instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for this person because he's a Democrat or I'm going to vote for this person because she's a Republican. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to support this person who I think has views that, you know, align with with mine and regardless of party. And I'm going to, you know, send them some money. And, you know, even if they're not projected as the front runner, like we have to start supporting those people so that, you know, over time it, it becomes a thing where, where they actually have a chance. Yeah. And I really, I want to, I want to build off that too. Um, like I don't want this to be a very political podcast at mm-hmm. all. Um, but I also think that as, as a voter, if you're going to vote, you need to know the candidate that you're voting for. You can't just listen to their message yeah. and take it at face value. Right. Because oftentimes, you know, I, I have like my degree is in marketing, Jordan. So exploiting mm-hmm. people's emotions for money is literally <laughs> um, what I spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars and change to do, right? Um, and you know, someone who I who I despise as a as a political entity is this woman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, mm-hmm. because what she did, and you know, it's all you know the media, she's the media darling of course because she's a leftist and she wants free college and she wants this and this and this and she's a socialist and she doesn't take money from corporations it's all from people um and she's disgusting to me because she's completely fake she's told she's she's told the story of her life of being someone who struggled who worked really hard who works you know two jobs and lives with her parents at age 29 and you know is really just you know the typical the typical millennial, mm-hmm. but that's just, that's just, it couldn't be further from the truth. She grew up in a $3 million house in Yorktown, um, which is one of the richest parts of Westchester. You know, she, her financial disclosure said that she, oh yeah, she went to private school by the way. So she's not, she doesn't know the horrors of the public school system. Mm-hmm. And she didn't grow up in the Bronx. Like she said, she grew up in, in Westchester. Um, her fin- she said she doesn't have money to afford an apartment in Washington, DC. And her financial disclosure show that she has at least $15,000 just in her checking right, account and right. much more than that. It's really, you know, if you count assets and, you know, equity funds and things like that, she has over $50,000. And I have $500 in my checking account right now. And mm-hmm. I live in Westchester. Yeah. And I can afford it. It's hard, but I can afford it. Mm-hmm. I have a lease, like not even a sublet. Like I have a real lease that I did because I work at a job where I don't make a ton of money, but... Um, you know, it does something that I think is really contributing to society and I care about that. Mm -hmm. And when someone like that just sells a lie to people and takes money, you know, how many people do you think in, you know, the Bronx or Queens, wherever her district is, how many people do you think are living paycheck to paycheck Yeah. or they live in public housing Mm -hmm. and they bought into this false narrative that she sold them and they might've given her their last hundred dollars, you know? They might have gone hungry for a day because they believed in her candidacy. And it's not going to change anything because she's just as fake as everyone else. She's just younger and she knows how to, you know, exploit people's emotions for money. Yeah, I find her message a lot of the time very appealing. But when you kind of dig further and dig deeper, she seems from 
my perspective, irresponsible and, and unreliable. And, you know, like you said, when you look into her backstory, it's, it's shady and it's not what she says that it is. It's a lie. Yeah. It's a lie. And the same thing with Donald Trump too. Like, I don't Mm want to be a left bashing, you know, conservative person on this podcast because I am not at all. Mm -hmm. Um, all these people that voted for Donald Trump, I'm very proud to say that I voted for John Kasich in the mm-hmm. primary in Manhattan yeah. because Manhattan was the only county in New York State where Donald Trump didn't win and yeah. John Kasich won. Yeah. And I felt like my vote, you know, somewhat mattered. He, mm-hmm. he didn't win by a large percentage, you know. It was thousands of votes, of course, that he won by. But um, so my vote, if I didn't vote for Kasich, he still would have won. But um, he was a candidate who. Um, we, we talk about this all the time in politics. If you study political science, the, um, the Kennedy versus Nixon, Nixon election was the right. first one that was televised mm-hmm. and people who listened to Nixon on the radio thought that Nixon won, right. but people who debate, watched it yeah. on television mm-hmm. thought that Kennedy won because yeah. Kennedy was much more clear. You know, Nixon had the, the sweat gate where, mm-hmm. you know, he was constantly sweating and rubbing his upper lip and he just looked like a shady person yeah and you know i'm not someone who's going to say that television is bad for politics Mm -hmm. um i think that it has been but i don't think that that's television's fault i think that that's the programming and the way that politics are you know presented to us entertainment is you know looking at politics as entertainment is is where the problem is and and television has predominantly been an entertainment medium right Exactly. So exactly. when we see politics on television, it's it's an entertainment. And that's one thing that Donald Trump really exploited because he knows television. He knows reality television, <laughs> right? That's the thing he knows better than anything else. And so he took, you know, his knowledge from, um, you know, The Apprentice and, and all of his, his stuff with that. And he applied that to uh, the election, you know, and he made it a show. He made it something that people wanted to follow and were interested in and all these, all this drama and stuff. Right. And he exploited that. Yeah. And he made that an interesting thing. Exactly. Um, there's another Netflix documentary here that I want to plug a documentary series called dirty money. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, and the last episode was about Donald Trump, and it was really fascinating. There's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about from that. Mm-hmm. Um, because essentially, you know, Donald Trump isn't a great businessman at all, mm-hmm. like at all. If you look into his record, he's a horrible businessman. He has yeah. had so many failed ventures. He bankrupted he, – he destroyed the USFL, mm-hmm. um, which is a really interesting story. Essentially, you know, to give you the long and short of it, Donald Trump bought this football team. This wasn't from Dirty Money, by the way. This was from – a, um, a 30 for 30 documentary, which I used to love back when Bill Simmons ran it. Um, so if you can watch an old 30 for 30, um, it's an ESPN um, documentary series about sports. Mm-hmm. And um, they had one called Who Killed the USFL? And it was just about Donald Trump and how he went in and he bought a team and just made it all about himself, you know, marketing himself as, you know, the savior of the USFL. Mm-hmm. He's going to take on the NFL and destroy them. Um because, you know, he's a winner. You know, that's always his right, message. Right. I win. You know, I'm going to make America a winner. That was his big political thing, right? Yeah. Make America great again. Um, so back in the 80s, you know, he, he joined the USFL. It got all this publicity. The USFL was a spring league that didn't want to compete directly against the NFL. It wanted to be kind of a compliment, you know, for players who maybe didn't like the NFL or weren't quite good enough or, you know, maybe like a developmental league for guys who slipped through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, fo- I follow sports religiously. So yeah. 
I can tell you, you know, some most, not most, but some of the best players in the NFL were either late draft picks or undrafted, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of the top draft picks end up being busts. You know, your right. Jamarcus Russells, your Jameis Winstons, whatever. Um, someone like Tom Brady, who was drafted in the sixth round, right? Mm-hmm. Someone like Drew Brees, who was an undrafted free agent. Right. There's so many people who weren't regarded as great prospects, mm-hmm. but because, you know, they had this inner drive and this consistent wanting to get better, you know, when they hit 24, 25, they're a much better player because they've been working harder than these guys that are naturally gifted and they can run a 4-3-40 and, you know, they have the big rocket arm that all the scouts look for, right? right? So the USFL very easily could have developed into a league that there's so many people that play football and, you know, it's it's declining these days because of concussions and that's good. You know, I don't think, knowing what I know now, I don't think that children under the age of like 13 should be playing football. Mm -hmm. Probably no one should be playing football just because of the damage it does to their brain. But, you know, we like it. (laughs) Everything kills you. Don't, you know, don't look too much into the NFL. It's just going to make you hate hate football. And it's one of the few things that brings people joy. Um, And I think that that's cool because, like I said, you know, there's so many bad things out there that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's one of the less bad things i guess you know that's also something that we should probably talk about now that i'm making that point is um that apathy that we have sometimes towards things that are bad you know maybe <laughs> that is actually contributing to a lot of bad things is mm-hmm. me watching the nfl every sunday um and when i know <laughs> that it's blind bad, right yeah yeah so i mean if you applied that same thing to turning a blind eye to like factory farming right then mm-hmm. that would exactly be good. yeah um, exactly. So I think it's important um, to be aware of those things and, and take the good for, you know, the good and take the bad for the bad and say, you know, what can we do to keep the good while, you know, reducing yeah. and eliminating the bad. Right, right. I don't really want to get into whether or not football's good because that's just yeah, going to no, make I don't, me sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> back, back to that story. We went off on a tangent yeah. there. Um, so Donald Trump came in and said, we're going to end the NFL. Mm-hmm. He, you know, raised a bunch of money, tried to buy a bunch of players. He said, we're going to play in the fall. We're going to compete directly against the NFL. Um, you know, ratings weren't as high because they were going up against the NFL and there's a saturation. People can only watch so much football and you have college football, you have the NFL, you have your local high school team that you might watch, um, which is a real thing, by the way. I mean, you're from Texas. So Yo, yeah. sure you know how big high school Yo, football yeah, is. Yes, for sure. We had like, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'd I was just going to say, yeah, we had, you know, uh, rallies, you know, at the beginning of football season every year, just through this, or the small town that I lived in, you know, that there'd be floats and, and a parade of the football players just going all through the town, a honk parade, you know, people would get in line. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it was a big event. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I wish I grew up in Texas. Wow. Um, yeah, so anyway, you know, Trump... Um, like I said, he took on the NFL. Mm-hmm. He decided that he was going to sue the NFL, say that they have a mon- like an antitrust lawsuit. The NFL has a monopoly on football through different things like the draft and television rights and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we spent millions and millions and millions of dollars of owner money, league money on this lawsuit that they eventually won. Mm-hmm. They actually won the lawsuit. They determined that the NFL had a monopoly on football. If you've ever wondered why the NFL only plays on Sunday, college plays on Saturday, and high school plays on Friday, 
it's because of this lawsuit. Oh, wow. So the, the lawsuit actually determined that the NFL had a monopoly on football, mm-hmm. and they are not allowed to play a football game within 50 miles of any other semi-pro or professional or, you know, legitimate, so the NCAA counts as that too. Uh-huh. Any other football game wow. that's going on within 50 miles cannot like the NFL can't have a game within 50 miles of that wow. game. So they came to an agreement with the NCAA to, you know, the NCAA plays on Saturday, mm-hmm. the NFL plays on Sunday. And that's why at the end of the year after the college season when the NFL's still going on, they have some Saturday games. It's really mm-hmm. fascinating. Wow. Um but moral of the story is the judge determined that there wasn't any tangible damage done to the USFL mm-hmm. and they awarded a you know symbolic judgment of one dollar so the usfl spent bankrupted the league the league went under because of this lawsuit that they technically won Mm -hmm. and donald trump came out after and was like oh we won the lawsuit we're winners but the usfl was a loser and that's why you know they're going under now Uh um when really he was the person that bankrupted it yeah and you know continuing in his story you know he destroyed atlantic city you know just he took out tons and tons and tons and tons of money to build these massive lavish casinos in Atlantic city. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he wasn't prepared to meet the demand that they had. So, you know, he defaulted on all his loans. He went bankrupt. He's declared bankruptcy like five times. Um, if you've ever been to Atlantic city within the last 20 years, it's an absolute dump because all the casinos went under, you know, people don't want to go there anymore. You know, you can you can gamble online now, so you don't really have to go to a casino. There's a stigma to going to a casino anyway, mm-hmm. um, and like, you know, you have Vegas, so if your airfare is cheaper now, so if you really you're not going to spend a huge amount of money on an Atlantic City vacation when you could just go to Vegas and it's right. going to be a lot more fun. Yeah. Um. So you know, Atlantic City, he completely destroyed a town. You know, he stiffed all these contractors because he went bankrupt. So he said he didn't have to pay the millions of dollars that he owed. Um, and this this idea of Trump as like a real estate mogul isn't really true. Mm-hmm. What he's done actually is all the buildings that you see that are Trump this, Trump that, whatever, he doesn't actually own. He just licenses his name because he knows – like real estate developers know too that the Trump name has equity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to build a building somewhere, it's they're going to pay Trump to use his name to call it the Trump building because now it's going to attract a lot more people Uh because instead of just being, you know, the, the Plaza hotel, now it's the Trump Plaza hotel. Right. And that name has some equity to it. Yeah. And then, you know, he went out with the apprentice and just continued building, you know, his name equity Mm -hmm. portraying himself as the successful businessman. That wasn't really true. Yeah. Um, and then we got to the election and it's funny because people talk about Russia collusion and, this, this was fascinating to me. The real Russia collusion wasn't in stealing the election or anything. Um, apparently, actually, Trump has been wanting to build in Russia for a long time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of shady characters that he got in with that were paying him the license, um, they actually were lobbying the Russian government to allow them to build a Trump building while Trump's getting elected. Right. So it's almost like a pay for play type thing where uh-huh. um, people are paying Trump. But, you know, proxies of the Russian government are paying Trump and proxies of Trump are paying the Russian government to try to make these deals all while Trump's being elected. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I don't really fully understand it. So that's all I'll say. If you right. want to learn more, look into it more. Yeah, I definitely need to. Yeah. Um, but the moral of the story is 
that Trump built this idea of himself as a businessman, a successful businessman. Mm -hmm. And he really wasn't, but he knew how to exploit all these middle class Americans, you know, the middle country, um, the red states, you know, all these people who feel disenfranchised by what's been going on, um, you know. You're being lied to. The government's lying to you. The media is lying to you. The failing New York Times, the Clinton News Network, it's all biased. It's all corrupt. You know, all the jobs left. What has the government done for you? And that really resonated for a lot of people, right? He made mm-hmm. a lot of promises, um, some of which he's delivered on, but most of them he hasn't. You know, he's going right. to reinvigorate the car industry, the steel industry, the coal industry. And he really hasn't. Yeah. Um, but he told people that he would. Mm-hmm. And people believed him. And they voted for him thinking that he was going to be this, you know, savior of America, he's going to make America great again. Right. But if those people had just done even a cursory level of research, like it's not very hard to find out that Donald Trump is not a successful businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had just done any research whatsoever, they would have realized he was a fraud and they would have hopefully not voted for Hillary Clinton because she has her own problems and I'm glad she's not president. Um, but, you know, maybe they would have voted for a third party candidate. But the third party candidates are also terrible. Like Gary Johnson's an idiot. Yeah. Right. Whoever that Jill Stein or whatever from Mm -hmm. the Green Party, she's an idiot, too. Yeah. Right. So it's a huge problem where people feel politically motivated and they get sold a lie on either side. And then they feel like they're contributing something by contributing to the lie. Yeah. So I just went off on a tangent there. I'd love to hear you talk more. My throat's starting to get sore. No, no, no. Where where were we? Where did we leave off before that tangent? Oh, just how, um, you know, that was the point we were making. I built it off Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how people on both sides are manipulating people's emotions to try to get them politically engaged when the political engagement isn't real engagement. All they're doing is getting angry about something and then voting with their anger instead of voting with their head yeah i mean i think you you did a pretty good job going off on it but um i think it's it's a tricky thing because it is hard to um you know i mean yes there are things you know um it's not hard to find out that trump was not a successful businessman but i think certain things you know often looking further into things can be hard when you're trying to, um, you know, life itself is hard enough a lot of the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just trying to, to pay your rent and feed your family and, and, you know, just make the very basic things happen, right. can be exhausting and yeah. hard enough. So, um, you, you know, and I, I both a, know that. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, um, you know, a lot of these people who did vote for Trump, right um who are having a really hard time and you know are struggling and um you know whatever so they, they just heard this person who was saying i can help you right and they wanted so badly to believe that and they maybe didn't have you know the time or energy to kind of look into it more and, and i mean not that they couldn't have made it work a lot of them but um you know it is it is exhausting and, and so what can we do to kind of motivate people to make that a priority, I guess, you know, um, this podcast. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) That's, that's Um, one of the ways for sure. But yeah, like not, not to self promote here or like pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. But just having these kinds of discussions and more importantly, um, yeah, but I'm just just trying to say that I sympathize 
with, you know, the people who, you know, maybe didn't make the best choice, but I, I understand kind of how they ended up there and how they were so exhausted by, you know, the rest of life that they, you know, kind of didn't look further and kind of just took what seemed like the easiest thing. Like, I, I understand the, the thought process behind that, and I can relate to that a lot, you know. Um, it can be exhausting to, to, you know, keep listening to all this stuff, and, and you know, I, I go through periods where I... I don't listen to the news for a while because just mentally, I just, you know, I'm so exhausted by it all and trying to filter through all the crap that's out there and find actually the, the nuggets that, you know, are useful and, and relevant, you know? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think you're touching on something here that's really important. Um, you know, we, and this is, this is why fiscally I tend to lean conservative and small government, anti-government, mm-hmm. um, is because we as people, you know, it's it's this like dichotomy that that we all have, right? Right. Is we do we we have to care about big picture issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to care about the direction our country's going. We have to care about who our politicians are and everything. Yeah. But at the same time, we have to care about ourselves as well, mm-hmm. right? That's the most important thing. Um, I forgot, you know, the quote that I shared with you a couple weeks ago um, from you know the Jewish elder Hillel. That was, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember it exactly, but it was, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not for myself, then who will be for me? Right. But if I'm only for me, then what am I? Right. right. And that like, that's just very powerful because mm-hmm. it's like at this, you know, you have to care about big picture stuff, but at the, at the end of the day, at your core and your energy, you have to do things that you think are meaningful and things that are going to make you happy and things that are going to make you successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as people, if everyone puts their head down for a little bit and, you know, works on themselves and instead of getting that, you know, job that you hate, that you go to and whatever, that you try to do something, you know, productive and valuable with your mm-hmm. life, um, these two things are going to intersect. Yeah. Right. If you have this army of people of 330 Americans, mm-hmm. 330 Americans, 330 <laughs> million Americans yeah. um, who are all really motivated on doing the right thing and, you know, being the best versions of themselves, then it's going to clean up all the other things. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if th- there's a there's a really fundamental concept of capitalism called voting with your dollar. Mm-hmm. Right. So me personally, right, if I know that Purdue treats their, you know, the, their food is poisoned and contaminated, they abuse animals consistently, mm-hmm. they abuse their supply chain by, you know, enforcing all these regulations and putting them into debt by telling them, you know, you have to buy this equipment and this equipment and this equipment and treat your chickens this certain way mm-hmm. or else we're not going to buy from you. And they're the only person that buys chicken anywhere because they're, you know, a huge multinational corporation that basically has a monopoly. Well, you know, a duopoly on chicken alongside like Tyson or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as a farmer, you have to make the choice of are you going to contribute to the system that you know is broken or are you going to make your own way, build your chickens your own way? And maybe you're not going to be a part of this huge multinational corporation, but you can – if you really want to sell chicken, 
like that's your passion right but you also want to treat chickens well there's mm-hmm. a huge market for that oh, for now. sure there is you yeah. know it's it's very easy you can just you know treat your chickens humanely mm-hmm. not genetically modify them to have bigger breasts so that they can't even walk you know not feed them these growth hormones that make them grow faster and increase the production line you can treat your chickens well create a nice little small business for yourself go to farmers markets sell your chicken educate consumers Consumers are going to hear the story that you're telling and be like, oh, wow, I really want to buy chicken from you because I know that you treat your chickens well. You know, you're a mm-hmm. good person and I hate these corporations. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I know I, I said vote with your dollar and then I went back to the supply chain. But, um, you know, as a consumer, the only way that we're going to take down these big companies is by not buying their products. Right. Because exactly. if, if they're not making money, they're not going to have the money to spend on these lobbyists to keep rigging the system, Mm -hmm. right? So if I personally know that Tyson chicken is bad, Mm -hmm. then I shouldn't have a big industrial bag of Tyson chicken nuggets in my freezer right Right. now, which I do, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, but also, you know, it's it's very hard to say that too because like you said, we're all struggling to get by. Yeah. And And if these corporations are able to sell a product artificially cheap there are going to be people who buy it because you know i i you know uh i have the luxury of i mean i'm not making a lot of money but i i do have the luxury of being able to buy um you know meat that is um you know produced more ethically and is healthier um and you know i'm you know i have enough money to do that but it it is is still at the point where sometimes i'm like shit you know this adds up and Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'm you know, like, I, you know, I, I, right now I just need to buy, you know, this, this cheaper stuff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and there are people who it's really hard for them to be able to do that all the time to, you know, or even, you know, some, some of the time to, to buy, you know, more ethically produced and healthier, um, meat, you know? Um, and so it's yeah. easier for them to just not think about it. Right. And to just say, you know, right now I just need to feed my family. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so, exactly. And you know, mm-hmm. it's not even, it's not even about money sometimes too. It's right. about convenience as well. You know, yeah. time is a is a valuable resource. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just me personally looking at my day, right? You know, I wake mm-hmm. up early. I take an early train into the city. It's only you know a thirty minute commute for me, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go to work. I work until you know six, seven o'clock most nights. Mm-hmm. Then I have to take a train back to the city, and it's like, where am I? Where am I going to find the time? to go find a farmer's market yeah. that sell, you know, that's really going to only be available like one day a week. If that somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, where's the time when there's, you know, a stop and shop and a sea town grocery and, you know, other things, you know, right within walking distance of my right. apartment that I can easily go to buy some cheap food, put it in my freezer and not have to worry about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, or just go to McDonald's and get it immediately, you know, and that's, yeah. that's also meat. That's oh not, no. Yeah. That's a huge thing too. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's the reason why our, uh, why our food system got so messed up was, you mm-hmm. know, the switch to fast food, the factory model yeah. of producing food, you know, these fast food industries came in and just grew exponentially because, you know, they were able to serve you food that's faster, that's cheaper and it tastes really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it might not be healthy, but it's convenient and it's filling. And they became the largest producer, like, you know, going right back to the market model. 
they became the largest purchasers of, you know, ground beef and mm-hmm. of chicken in the country. Mm-hmm. So the chicken farmers and the cow, the cattle farmers, they need to ramp up production in order to meet th- that demand. And that's how we got, you know, all of these corrupt practices and all right. of these disgusting practices that are going on is because, you know, these large, you know, large corporations like McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, whatever, um, they became, you know, they had, they put all the pressure on the suppliers and the suppliers had to cut corners in order to meet that demand. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it's really sick what's going on too in, in the food industry. I mean, if you, illegal immigration is obviously a huge, um, a huge, what's it called? Like a huge red flag for people, like a huge, a hot, not a red flag, a hot button issue. Yeah. Right. Is, um, you know, we have all these migrant workers in the country and, um, you know, I don't like the I don't like just calling them innocent because to me, if you're here illegally, you are committing a crime. So you're clear, you're not innocent just by the letter of the law. Um, but you know, these are also people that had to escape the drug cartels yeah, in Central issues. America. I know your pup's going off yeah, in the background. There. It's a nice, <laughs> Sorry, a nice yeah. touch. Yeah, this is a um, this is a very low budget podcast. So we're recording from my. Hey Nika, house, how you doing? Dog is very much here. Um, clearly something outside she's agitated (laughs) it's probably monsanto at the door trying to (laughs) shut us down (laughs) um but no anyway or maybe it's ice trying to raid us um but no right so you know i i do don't get me wrong like i empathize with these illegal immigrants because Mm -hmm. they're fleeing a war-torn country and they feel like they have nowhere else to go yeah and, um, you know, the, the, we can have an entire podcast just on the drug cartels themselves oh, sure, and how, yeah. how we've perpetuated that. Mm-hmm. But just to get to the point, I know I make these roundabout ways of making points all the time, and I'm going to try to work on that as we go forward. But it's also important to provide context for things. Yeah. Um, so all these Central American countries, through no fault of – I don't want to say no fault of their own because the governments are corrupt. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to say no fault of the people because they allowed their government to become so corrupted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're a working class family in Honduras or Guatemala or Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the drug cartels are coming and, you know, killing innocent people, killing children, you know, trafficking humans, whatever, just doing all of these horrible things. You know, you see all these murders that are going on in your neighborhood and you're like, I need to get out of here fuck the consequences because I need to survive. And more importantly, my children need to survive. My family needs to survive. Mm-hmm. So they immigrate to, they immigrate to the United States um, illegally and they're undocumented and they can't find real work, obviously because they're undocumented and they don't have a social security number or anything. And they have to live off the grid. They can't pay real rent. So they live, you know, packed together in these shanty houses or, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have like a trailer or something or an RV that they live in or whatever. And, um, these, these big corporations say, well, here's this cheap labor source that we can have, mm-hmm. you know? So the people that are processing th- this food, the people that are traveling out to these chicken farms, you know, hundreds of miles away and bringing them into the mass production factory to, you know, pick up all the chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all undocumented workers, and people look at that and the government looks at that and the, the chicken lobby or, you know, the beef lobby or whatever say to the government, well, you can't arrest too many of these workers because it's going to affect production. So they know that all these undocumented people are here 
And not that they do nothing about it. They do these, you know, cursory raids where they go in and they raid, you know, 10 people at a time when there's really thousands of people that are working there. And the government's doing nothing to prosecute the people that are knowingly employing these undocumented immigrants, right? If the, if the Justice Department wanted to come in and arrest the board of directors at Purdue and Monsanto and Tyson and whatever for employing undocumented workers on a huge scale, mm-hmm. the problem would be over. Yeah. Undocumented immigrants wouldn't come here anymore because they would know that there's no labor for them because we're prosecuting undocumented workers and we're prosecuting the people who employ undocumented workers. Mm-hmm. So no one's going to want to employ undocumented workers anymore. But instead, we have this system where it's being perpetuated and these people are being treated essentially like slaves, you know, being bussed out hundreds of miles to a factory every day and bussing 100 miles back to wherever, you know, whatever place they live. And they do it every day. And it's just this vicious cycle. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's just it's really sick. Yeah, it's it's a complicated issue for sure. Um, And I think it's important to be compassionate on on both ends, right? Um, and, you know, it's, it's again something that, you know, you mentioned it's a hot button issue, so it's something that people very strongly take sides on, and, and you're either on one side or you're on the other. There's not a lot of room to, you know, right. feel compassionate and towards these people. And it's more than that. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, there's other levels of it too, you know, when you get into, you know, these children who are brought here at a, at a very young age, and this is really the only place that they know, you know, how can you you know, send them back, but also, you know, it's, it's an issue, you know, uh, because we can't keep perpetuating that necessarily. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you find the middle ground and, and make that all work? And I think, you know, one of the steps to doing that is, is to allowing it to, you know, allowing us to, to sit in the middle ground of it and to say, you know, yeah, this is a complicated issue and, and it's not as simple as just, we either got to kick them all out or we got to let them all in, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, like I've always been anti-illegal immigration, but I think I'm coming more to the, more to the middle mm-hmm. um, on that issue. Like, you, you know, like you said, we, we're all more in the middle than we think we are. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to think uh, because, you know, my grandfather had to flee Germany when, you know, before the Holocaust. It's a really mm-hmm. crazy story, actually, when he was I'm not going to go into that story. Um, <laughs> you know, short, long story short, he was a Jew that had to flee um, Germany during the, you know, before the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and he couldn't get into the United States. He had a relative here, but he didn't have his paperwork or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he had to live in Bolivia for 11 years before he finally got his visa paperwork through and got into the country. Mm -hmm. And I used to think, you know, those types of people, the box checkers, the people who play by the rules, those are the people that we want in this country. But now when I think about it, and like I said, we have all these drug cartels mm-hmm. that are destroying Central American and Latin, you know, South American countries. And we have these corrupt governments and we just have these terrible, impoverished situations that are going on down there. And you look at the people, you know, America's built on, you know, taking what's yours and being mm-hmm. a risk taker and, you know, wanting to provide for your family and, you know, being, you know, trying to make the right decision and whatever. Um and you have these people, and don't get me wrong, there's a ton of criminals that, that come over the border. You know, drug trafficking, human trafficking is a huge issue. You know, if criminals, like legitimate criminals, not illegal immigrants, but people mm-hmm. that are murderers, people that are terrorists, people that are human traffickers, people Incident that are rapists. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I didn't hear what you said. No, I was just being Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Similar um, are good people. 
<laughs> it was very fine people on both sides. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, all of these people that are coming to America, not all of them, like I said, there's a huge percentage that are that are coming for illicit reasons, and mm-hmm. those people need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, but, you know, the, the, the middle-class family who uproots their entire life to try to make a better life in America— and they live here for 10 years, never committing a crime other than being here illegally. Mm-hmm. And they work hard. They're, you know, very hardworking people. Yeah. And, you know, they go to work every day. They have these ridiculous commutes. You know, they get paid well below minimum wage because they're undocumented and it's mm-hmm. not taxed and the companies get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, aren't those family oriented people, aren't those the people that we want in this country? Yeah. Too? I mean, that's what this country was kind of built on. Right. It, you know, the we were a country of immigrants originally. Um, you know, we, we brought in. We're people a country of invaders, not well, even that, immigrants. I mean, yes, this land isn't ours. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's true, but um, yeah, but there, I mean, there is an element too of of the people who are here now. A lot of them are, you know, the original people were invaders. Yes, and we shouldn't ignore that. But um, you know, I a guess lot invaders of people, is the wrong word because they were also fleeing oppression. Yeah. Um, but and and you know a lot of them I don't want to say a lot but especially you know Plymouth County or Plymouth Plantation mm-hmm. or whatever they also very much coexisted with the Native Americans and mm-hmm. that's why we have Thanksgiving that's coming up here next week yeah. is because you know they worked hard with the Native Americans and the Native Americans were very compassionate to them and taught them how to grow corn and everything and it's a really you know nice story about everything um, and you know the wars and the way we treated Native Americans. Um, in some ways was, you know, motivated by the wars that we were fighting against Britain and the trade wars we had with France and the the war of 1812, where we tried to invade Canada, um, which was really an invasion of England. But, um, you know what I mean? We had to make alliances. Some of the Indian tribes aligned with Britain and Mm -hmm. they became, you know, enemies of America and we had to fight them. Um, and then, you know, we had the forceful displacement, the trail of tears, which was really disgusting. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's yeah, definitely, there is a lot Native of Americans got a raw deal. In, yeah, for sure. And I don't want to ignore that there was a lot of terrible history in the founding of this country, but yeah. you know, the, but there the, was a lot of good history. Too. Yeah. The, the and, positive. You know, a lot of Native Americans also had the opportunity to assimilate and they just chose not to, and they lost. Yeah. There was a war. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, 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 Overall point I was trying to make was that yeah sorry sorry no, it's all good that. just that the 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 positive narrative that we sell is that this is a, a place where where you know our ancestors came to make a better life right and they came right. from these from these bad situations right right um and so you know we need to have some compassion for people who are trying to do that now right um and and realize that it is more nuanced than just you know um oh they're illegal you know um. And, and yes, that is an issue, but just there's a middle ground and we have to look at it from the middle ground and, and not make it such a simple issue. We have to look at the nuance of it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, at the same time, from a policy perspective, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very, you know, I'm very much against welfare in, in most situations. I think if someone's disabled and they legally can't work they should get some sort of assistance, especially if their family can't help them. Um, that also opens, you know, the can of worms of 
you have to go to court regularly and prove yeah, that you're, there's a whole that you're disabled and there's you know well. the, where yeah. do you draw the line of when someone can work and when someone can't mm-hmm. um you know that's that's definitely gonna not be a good thing i think um or you know if if i don't want to say not a good thing but you know a it's a tricky thing, thing that just right? doesn't sit right yeah, yeah it's a it's, tricky it's tricky there's a yeah there's um, a whole level of nuance and i personally do tend to err on the level of give the help instant you know uh, i don't know uh, more kind of innocent until proven guilty i guess just provide help and cut back from there instead of starting with no help and then adding on top of that um but you know i mean again it is a nuanced thing and, and i i understand that there it's not so simple as, as you know. right right um i guess the point the point that i was going to make though is that like if someone's here illegally and they're not paying taxes or anything um you know they shouldn't really they shouldn't be eligible for welfare programs mm-hmm. like to me that's just a huge government waste yeah and a huge reason why we're attracting so many people mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of people too who live in you know who live in not even just we always say immigrants are latin american uh-huh. and and that's just racist because you know <laughs> we have tons of illegal immigrants that are russian or ukrainian or right. syrian or you know african or what have you mm-hmm. um you know, America and Chinese or Korean or mm-hmm. cur- whatever, um, you know, America attracts a lot of people. And a big reason why America attracts a lot of people is because we have sanctuary cities where illegal immigrants are still getting free housing and free free health care. And that's disgusting to me, because why do we have a homeless person who is from America, was poisoned by American lead water growing up? Now they have brain damage. They're really incapacitated or just, you know, mentally ill and unstable or whatever. And they're not getting help that they need. But somebody who comes here who's able to work but doesn't or somebody who comes here and is just, you know, not paying into the system that we're all paying into, why are they getting the benefits, right? So I think, you know, that's definitely something that, like I said, it's nuanced. But yeah, I mean, I it, rubs, it rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I think that if somebody – like to survive in America – you need to be entrepreneurial and you need to be able to make things happen on your own. And it's disgusting to say, but at the end of the day, you know, dis- disabilities notwithstanding, like if it's through no faults of your own, I think that, you know, there's definitely value to your life and we need to sustain you because, you know, it's just wrong that people should die for something that mm-hmm. um, isn't their fault. But if you're just a lazy person who tries to game the system and get by, like I have no sympathy for you mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, and I and I think that welfare just perpetuates a lot of that. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know um, how much research there is into that to be honest because I I personally haven't seen a lot of, of research but I haven't really looked so um, yeah I can't really say um, right no I haven't you know I'm just speaking from experience here mm-hmm. um, you know I I'm from a low income community I live in a low income community now. I've definitely seen, you know, a lot of people exploiting welfare programs for drugs mm-hmm. or, you know, people that could work that don't because they're going to lose their disability check if they get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no incentive for them to work. And I think that by removing that safety net, like I said, there should be a safety net for people that actually do physically need it. Mm-hmm. But if you remove that safety net for people, they're going to have, you know, we all have to go out into the world and make our own way. Like that is America. That's the foundation this country was built on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not happiness itself. 
You're not mm. guaranteed happiness. Right. You're guaranteed the opportunity to pursue it. Yeah. Then you need to take the initiative yourself to pursue it. You can't just, you know, willy-nilly just get high on the government's money and live in government's housing. Like that's to me that's just terrible. And we're all all the hardworking Americans are paying into that system. And that's why Trump got elected was because mm-hmm. he understood that problem and he knows that it pisses a lot of people off and he tapped into it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable going to this topic without some more solid yeah. statistics. No, you so, know? yeah, we can um, move on because it is we obviously. Can move on for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're getting around to the to the time to wrap up because we're uh, a little over an hour in. Oh, but, are we really? We oh, are. Oh wow, yeah. yeah, it's one ten over here now. Yeah, <laughs> but we yeah. talked for a while. Yeah, we have, but um, yeah, just I think I think it's important to to keep in mind the nuance of it, and um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see some statistics on that because, like you said, there certainly are vast numbers of people who need that help and that assistance um and i i don't really know how many people are just gaming the system right i don't i don't know if we have you know numbers on that but um it's Mm -hmm. something that you know we should educate ourselves on right Um, yeah it's also just real quick to go off on another very fast tangent i always like those numbers have never made sense to me like if we have statistics yeah on how much (laughs) criminal activity is going on why why is it being perpetuated why right. aren't we arresting the criminals like yeah. if we know you know 40 percent of people on welfare are currently exploiting it why aren't we arresting those 40 yeah. percent of people for yeah, welfare yeah. fraud right? right if we know that there's eight million Im- illegal immigrants in this country why aren't we arresting them right mm-hmm. um so i think that those numbers can also be very skewed right. and maybe it's just you know a percentage of things that we know mm-hmm. are going on but the mm-hmm. you know they don't actually know what is going on. Right. Like I only I only went off on that tangent about welfare fraud because, like I said, I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. You know, I like people that I know, people that are very close to me. Yeah. Have told me I don't want to get a job because I'm going to lose my disability check. And they're people mm-hmm. that I know that can work. Yeah. Or I've seen people literally seen it with my own eyes. Every Tuesday, they get a welfare deposit of $400 cash to their bank account. Mm-hmm. Then they go out and buy crack, and it's gone by Thursday morning, and now they have no food. Yeah. And I right? Think, so. Yeah. I think, I think being um, just, I guess, open to, to different perspectives because um, on the other yeah, end of, of it, I, you know, I personally don't have that experience of, of seeing that happen, and I'm not at all saying that you have not seen that. Um, but I have mm-hmm. seen more – you know, I have people close to me who are on the other end of it, right, and who very much need that assistance. Um, and so I'm. It's it's really important to me that that assistance stays there, right, and it doesn't go away, and that these people that I love and care about continue to have the support and assistance that they need, right? Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, and I know I know you th- you feel the same way, but um, you know, it, it's just it, we're each coming at it from from different perspectives, and so mm-hmm. um, I think just understanding that there is a middle ground is is what this podcast is all about right and exactly um what we're trying to exactly. encourage so yeah um, you know to, to wrap up here um mm-hmm. there, there's a concept in physics that's really interesting um it's you know wave particle duality and you know to tell the short story of it um you know the scientist i forget his name um but he wanted to test you know how things behave without being observed mm-hmm. um so he shot a beam of gold particles at a um at like a silver like a piece of foil at like a wall yeah a piece of foil right you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah, yeah so he shot it at a piece of foil 
Um, and while they were observing the way or you know, the way the uh, particles acted as particles and they shot in a straight line. But once they weren't observing it anymore, they acted in a wave and they went around the foil and they hit a screen that was behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, not to get the, like super meta on it and why are we here or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the point that I was trying to make there is that we all live in our own universe mm-hmm. and the only things that are real are what we experience. Yeah. If, if we don't see something happen, it didn't happen to us. Mm-hmm. Like if we don't know about something, it doesn't exist because right. we don't know about it. Right. And it doesn't affect our universe. Mm-hmm. So the only way that we're going to expand our universe is by looking deeper into things and having these conversations and, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to people who believe differently on an issue than you do and educating yourself about their universe and merging your two universes together to come to a common ground. Right. And um, I think that's I think that's why we wanted to start this podcast. Yeah, so, I think we're trying um, to lead by example, right? Because there are uh, certainly issues that we differ on. And, and so to, to show that we can have conversations, right, instead of just shutting each other down and, and refusing to listen, right? Um, right. It's or, you know, just, to just shooting out 280 characters of anger. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we want to actually have the discussion and, and be open and... and except that the other person legitimately, you know, is, is I, at the end of the day, everyone I think want has good intentions for the most part, mm-hmm. right? There, I mean, with maybe right, some, some small exceptions, a few exceptions, right? Most mm-hmm. people have good intentions, right? So we want to try and find the common ground because it, otherwise we're, we're just ignoring people who are good intentioned and are misunderstanding and, and we might be misunderstanding as well. Right. So we want to find where we coincide and, and move out from there instead of running to the edges and, and fighting each other. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I could go off on a tangent yeah. about that too, but it's definitely time to wrap up for sure. Um, you know, if you, if you all, if that resonated with you, um, definitely reach out to, you know, Jordan or myself, um, if I didn't say it, my name's Josh and, um, you know, reach out, you know, leave a comment on whatever medium you're listening to this on, you know, you can reach out to us on social media. If you're listening to this, you probably know us. Um, so, you know, if you have a question, if you want to have a deeper discussion about these things, like like I said, reach out, you know, talk to us or talk to other people in your community or go on Google and, you know, search and look up some things and, you know, if we said something that's wrong, you know, tell us about it yeah, so that we know sure. and we're we can do better in the future. open to hearing about that. That's, that's exactly. the whole point of this. Exactly. Um, so anyway, thank you so much um, for listening. Uh, Jordan, any last words? No, nothing. Just love you guys. Listen next time. Yeah, really. We do love you, like, very much, yeah, honestly. Like, we love sure. all people. Yeah. Not not evil people, but, you know, the 99% of us that are good intentioned. That's right. why we started this podcast. So. Exactly. Um, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Happy uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. <laughs>